0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com My home is not on this earth, not in this world oh. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be there at the really early days of something that just took off? Like I read books sometimes about startup companies, and you get like when, when things just spiral out of control, and you've got people out, and it's like they're hiring new people every week just because of the growth of this thing that they're doing. And often people will even like wear their uh, employee number as a badge of pride. Like if you work for Google or something. And I was employee number 26. I was there in the really early days. And I wonder if you've ever thought about what it would be like to be there in the early days of a move of God, where God just turns up in a powerful way. Like, think about being with John Wesley, when everything was just kicking off. When he was preaching, there was a huge response, and then these church buildings wouldn't let him in. So he said, I know what we'll do, we'll just go into the fields next to it, and preach. And thousands of people were turning up, and they like, well, what do we do now? All these people have become Christians, let's figure this thing out. Or imagine being there... At Azusa Street, when uh, the the Pentecostal renewal began and the Holy Spirit was poured out. And night after night, people were gathering across different social backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, just encountering God's Spirit being poured out anew. And then it's spreading from Los Angeles to different cities and different nations. Can you imagine what it's like to be there right at the start of a move of God? In the book of Acts we see what it was like to be there right at the start of the first revival in church history. And I believe that's what we're looking at here at CCM Gorton. What was it like in those early days? I want you to imagine the scene for a second. So you've been a disciple of Jesus. You've been following him around for the last three years. And it's been amazing. You've heard teaching like you've never heard anywhere else in your life. It's blown your mind. And you've seen him do miracles, you've seen him heal the sick, you've seen him raise the dead. And you've seen him draw people into community who everybody else was rejected. And you're thinking, this is it, this is what my life is about now, I'm all in on this. And then imagine that moment when he's handed over to the Romans. And he's killed, he's dead, he's in the grave. And everything you thought your life would be built around is gone. What do you do now? And they were facing that question. Some of them, they went back to their old jobs. They pick up their fishing nets again, thinking, there's nothing left. This dream that we had, this excitement, it's over. But it wasn't, because on the third day, God raised him from the dead, and then you you hear a whisper of it. The two Marys come and tell you, he's not in the tomb, there's a gardener, he looks a bit like Jesus, is he alive again? I'm not sure, maybe kind of, it's just the emotion of the weekend, but maybe you're seeing what you want to see. And then eventually, with your own eyes, you see him. With your own hands, you touch his flesh, and you go, wow, he really is back, and he's alive. Then he spends another six weeks with you. And he's got some messages that he wants to really drill in. Two things in particular he wants you to hear. First one is this. He's got a job for you to do. You're to be his witnesses and his missionaries. To go all around the world and to share the good news of what's happened. And secondly, he's going to help you. He's going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you to give you the power needed for the job that he's given you but he says to you this I'm going to go back to the Father and I don't want you to start yet you need the power before you go so just wait until the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you and then what happens is uh, Jesus ascends to the Father and th- there's that sense of what again we're kind of stuck again we're on our own again What now we've got a bit more direction what's going to happen but my goodness like, what, what do we do? And so you gather some of your mates together, and you say, I know what we can do. Let's pray. Let's have a prayer meeting. Let's go and seek God about what's next. And you gather in this upstairs room, and there's a hundred or so of you, maybe hundred and twenty. Think like a couple of CCM sites gathering together and saying, we're going to pray. And as this prayer meeting's going on, all of a sudden, everything just completely kicks off. And it's like a rushing wind. Imagine like a a wind coming in. But more than just kind of the drafts of a room, you know there's something supernatural about this wind. You can sense it in your soul. This is the Holy Spirit filling the room. And then as it's happening, you're looking around and you're seeing fire, flames touching the heads of everyone in the room. I mean, just look around this room now. Can you imagine how bonkers it would be if you could see fire on the head of everybody but that's what happens the holy spirit is anointing people and then they start speaking the praises of god they can't help themselves they're giving testimony they're speaking praise out loud and they're not even doing it in english now they they were in the middle east at the time so that would be one reason uh, but they're not even doing it in aramaic which was the language of the area. They're speaking languages they've never learned. They didn't do uh, advanced languages at school, most of them. It's languages that are completely new to them. And then there's a whole bunch of people who've come into town from all different nations who are hearing this and they're like, what? They're speaking my language? I can understand this. This is audible to me. So you can imagine the kind of commotion that's happened. And then you can imagine the, the crowds of onlookers looking, thinking, this is weird, this is crazy. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where it just looks like something's happening. You don't really know what it is, but you're drawn to it, aren't you? There's like a crowd. You want to see the spectacle. And so a crowd forms. And they're, they're muttering. They're like, these guys are acting like they're drunk, they must have been drinking all night, they're acting in a really weird way and Simon Peter gets up and he starts addressing the situation, he says actually we're not drunk, it's 9 o'clock in the morning but what this is, is a move of God God as he promised throughout history, has poured out his Holy Spirit upon his church and then he does an incredible sermon explaining all the Old Testament promises and how they've been fulfilled in what God has done in Jesus in his death and in his resurrection and he gives a moment where he invites a response and you know what happens 3,000 people respond today and I was imagining, what would it be like to be there as part of that 100 people in a prayer meeting, and all of a sudden, your church has grown to 3,000 people. Imagine next week, 3,000 people turn up at CCM Gorton. What are you going to do? Now, you're going to praise God, because that's a mighty act. And then some of you who are, who are more admin-minded are going to be, oh, what now? <laughs> Do we go to multiple services? Do we, do we need a bigger room? What do we do about community groups? Who's going to lead community groups for that many people? Some of these people we need, we'll need pastoring. Maybe they've got kids, what do we do about our plans for kids' work, do we need to multiply that? And everything would be a, a bit of a challenge. And we hear how they organise their church life, they do two things. They'd have big meetings in the temple courts, and they'd have smaller meetings in people's homes. And When you think home, don't necessarily think the house that you live in unless you're loaded and live in a bit of a mansion. These houses would host about 50 people at once. It would be something akin to the site's that we have they meet in that kind of setting and late on in Acts 2 we get this wonderful account of what their church life was like they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles and prayer and fellowship and breaking of bread and supernatural deeds were being done regularly and the people were just in awe wow God is on the move and with their possessions they were generous they'd share what they had with whoever had need and day by day by day their number was growing and then what happened is two of the leaders of the early church Peter and John they were on their way to the temple for the regular time of prayer 3 o'clock In the afternoon and on their way there was a guy sitting beside the path to the temple. It was a guy who was crippled and uh, it's quite likely that he went there on a regular basis uh, in the hope that people would give him money. He was a beggar by the side of the path and as Peter and John are approaching he asks them for money. And they don't have any. They're not carrying cash. I don't know how many of you have gone to not carrying cash now. I'm certainly in a I don't carry cash anymore kind of vibe. But that was their situation. We don't have any cash to give you. They said silver and gold we have none. But what we do have we can give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ get up and walk. And amazingly, astoundingly the man gets up and walks, he's completely healed by the power of Jesus and then he goes into the temple, into this prayer time and he's dancing around, he's jumping, he's getting fully engaged in the worship and wouldn't you if you'd just been healed where you couldn't walk and now you can and he's jumping and praising and everyone's looking at him thinking isn't he that guy who used to be beside the path on the way into the temple and they'd seen him enough times, they knew it wasn't just that he had been faking and now he was there for real. They're like, wow, God has done something. And they're kind of wanting some answers from him. And he's a bit shy. He's clinging to Peter and John, being like, guys, just help me out here. And so everyone's looking to Peter and John. You can imagine that moment where they they both give each other a look, like, one of us probably needs to say something. And in the end, it's Peter who steps up. And he does Little speech, and what he tells them is this it wasn't us, it wasn't our power, it wasn't our godliness that's done this, it's something that God has done in Jesus' name. Jesus, by the way, who you lot killed and God raised from the dead, but it's in his name that this has happened, and then he made a promise of what God would do if the people responded and we've only got two verses really we're going to focus on today and this is what he says so this is in Acts chapter 3 verses 19 and 20 let me read those verses this is Peter talking to this crowd in this context repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Repent therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. In these verses we've got one simple instruction that we're given and we're told what three powerful effects will be if we do it. One instruction, three effects and the focus of it all is refreshing. Now I don't know where your life is at as you come into the room this morning. But I was thinking as I was preparing this about some of the people who I've been spending time with over the last couple of weeks. I'll give you uh, just a few examples of people I've spent some time with. Uh, one person is an older lady who for the last year and a half has been living on her own, a long way away from family. A lot of her friends have moved away from where she's lived. Some of her friends have died and she's been battling with utter loneliness and isolation I think of another friend of mine he's in his 50s and he's been battling with skin cancer for years, he recently had his 40th dose of radiotherapy I think about a friend of mine who's single and he knows that singleness is what God has called him to and yet he struggles to find any joy in that he struggles to see it as a gift from God, he sees it as a burden to endure I think about a family who've got four kids younger than mine, and all the chaos and hecticness that comes with that. I think about a lady whose partner has become unwell over the last year, and now her life has turned into that of a full-time carer. I think about a person who's got a promotion at work, and now her work schedule is just crazy busy, having to work a super large amount of shifts, and is absolutely knackered by doing it. Think of another person who's in a job and is going to work, wondering, I don't even think this is the job for me, but I don't know what else I could do. Think about a man whose grown-up son has struggled with drug addiction for years, and he doesn't get to see his grandkids anymore. They're just some people I've seen over the last couple of weeks. I don't know what you're bringing into the room today, but if I think about all of those people that I've met with, and I was to ask the question... Could they do with a bit of refreshing? I bet they'd be a 100% yes rate. And you know if someone asked me, Tom, could you do with some refreshing? I'd say, I sure can. And I bet you could too. Whatever you're bringing in this morning, whatever the ups and downs, the joys and pains, the exhaustions, the burdens, the challenges, whatever's going on in life this morning, I think we could all use some times of refreshing. So this is for us. This is a promise from God. Well, I said there's one thing we need to do. Let's start by thinking about that. Because there's a command, isn't there, at the start of the verse. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Repent and turn back. Now, when I was a kid, I was a little bit of a terror. I had this thing where I'd kind of lose my temper. I'd argue with my mum and dad. And then I'd run away from home. (laughs) And I'd leave the house. And then I'd turn right out of our drive. And about three or four houses down, there was a turn onto another road. And I'd go onto that road, and I'd be about three or four minutes out of the house, completely in my kind of mad angry huff, when I realise this might not have been the best idea. (laughs) I've got nowhere to go, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And so I'd get a little bit onto this second road, and then there'd come a moment that I'd stop. I'd stop going away from home. Now, at that moment I wasn't ready to just go back home. So what I'd tend to do next is I'd just sit down on the pavement for a bit. Mm -hmm. A few more minutes would pass and then I'm like, I'm outside, I'm sitting on a pavement, it's cold, it's rainy, I don't really want to be here. Home is the place where I want to be. So I'd kind of let just my emotions calm a bit. I'd get up, I'd turn around, And I'd go back home. And when I went back through the front door, then I I had to say sorry, I had to own that I've just messed up here, I've just blown it. And I had to make the relationship right. Now what I was doing there was repenting. I was going in one direction and then there comes a moment that you stop going in the wrong direction and you turn around and you go in the right direction. That's repentance. Jesus tells a story quite similar to mine about a prodigal son who leaves home. He was a bit older than me, so he had, he had somewhere to go and something to do. He blew the inheritance on wild parties. But he reached that same moment. There's nothing left for me here. Home is where I need to be. I'm going to turn around and go back. In life, we can point our life in the wrong direction, can't we? We can be chasing after something... That's not of God. We call it sin. It might be an idol. It might be something in our heart. Rather than God that we're living for, we're living for something else. And when we do that, it's like we turn our back on God and our face is on the other thing. And in repentance, it's we're turning our back on the thing and our face to God. It's a 180 degree turn that we need. Now, I'm here this morning talking about repentance noticed that repentance isn't that popular a thing to talk about. You know, if I was to pick up a newspaper, look at the editorial columns, it's a long time since I've seen one say, what we need is repentance. (laughs) It's not a popular thing. And I think the reason why talking about repentance isn't popular, because when you're talking about repentance, it's like you're implying there are some things that are not right. And You can't say that, apparently. Which is kind of bonkers, because there are some things that aren't right, and if I was caught up in something that wasn't right, I'd want someone to tell me it's not good for me, it's not the way I should live. We need to repent, we need to turn back to God, each and every one of us. C.S. Lewis says this, We all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road... Progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive. Mm. Yeah, Uh, I've been in that situation. I remember once I was driving on the M6 and I thought I was on the M6 northbound and I was on the M6 southbound. And the quicker you realise that, the more likely you are to turn around and get to your destination. Now, If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, then repentance will give you entry into eternal life. As you turn away from the life against God and turn to him, you'll have all your sins forgiven. You'll have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll be with God forever in eternity. If you are a follower of Jesus repentance is still needed it's a day by day by day thing all of our lives as we kind of veer off from focusing on God as we veer into sin we need to be drawn back again and again and again repentance is for all of us so what does repenting look like? What do we actually do? Well, Sam Storms, he explains it to us. He says, true Christian repentance involves, firstly, a heartfelt conviction of sin. So in your heart, there's this sense of, yeah, God's on my case here. Something isn't right. Secondly, a contrition over the offence. I'm sorry. Thirdly, A turning away so I'm not going to just say God I'm sorry and carry on doing the thing I'm going to turn away from it and then turn towards a God honouring way of life let me just pause for a second I want to ask you this question is the Holy Spirit talking to you right now I think there will be some people in this room as we're talking about repentance that just in your spirit you know you're getting that little nudge From the spirit of God. He's drawing something to your attention. That repentance is what you need to do. Today. And if there is. Let me encourage you right now. To do it. To own the thing before God. And resolve that you're turning from it. To him. Let this be a moment of repentance. Well, what will happen when you repent? As you turn back to God. Our verses give us three things. That will happen. And the first one. It's kind of cool. It's that your sins will be blotted out. Your sins will be blotted out. Now... I did a bit of research into how blotting works because when I write, I tend to use like a biro, but back in the day when they used ink and fountain pens, often you'd be making these like nice ornate letters and then a splodge of ink would ruin the thing. And so you'd have this kind of blotting paper and blotting pad that would take away this mistake, it would take away the wrong bit of ink that shouldn't be there and it would make the thing back. As it should be. Think about something like that happening with sin. Your life is like this kind of piece of writing, and then this blotch, this sin is there. It wrecks the whole thing. And when you repent, it's like God blots that out, He takes that sin. Away. Or maybe some of you who like to wear makeup, apparently blotting paper is a thing in that kind of context as well. It takes away sweat or oil or something without ruining the makeup, according to Google anyway. I'm not an expert on these matters, but it's the same idea, isn't it? It's taking away the blemish, it's taking away the thing that's wrong without wrecking the whole. The Bible conceives of sin as like a blemish. And God's forgiveness takes it away. And he can do that because Christ died on the cross, and when he did, he took all your sins and all my sins. He took them all on himself. So they're removed from us and put on him. And when he died, he died taking the punishment for them. I like to have my prayer times in the evenings. That's what works for me. And one of the things that I do every day when I'm praying is I'll just run through all the events of the day, all the things that I've been involved with, all the things that I've done, all the things that I've said, and I'll just ask God, God, is there anything in here that I've done that's wrong? Is there anything that I've said that's wrong? Is there anything that I've thought That's wrong and as things are highlighted to me, I'll confess them. I'll make part of my prayer time confessing the sins of that day. And this truth here in this verse, that my sins will be blotted out, is absolutely amazing. Because I think about all those things that I've confessed to God. I think about the biggest ones and the smallest ones that all blotted out. I think about the things that I've confessed to him time and time and time again and battled with for ages. And I think about the things that I've confessed to him only once all of it, blotted out gone. I think about the stuff that I confessed to him last night. And I think about the stuff that I confessed to him a long long time ago all of it, gone every sin you've ever committed, the stuff that maybe you repented of five minutes ago in that moment, all of it, as you repent and turn to God, he takes it all. You're forgiven of everything. So your sins... Will be blotted out. The second part of the promise as we repent is that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What comes to your mind when you hear that idea of refreshing? I think there are two types of people. Some of you will go immediately to the internet and a web page that you're waiting for some new content. Maybe it's your social media scroll and you're there, refresh, refresh, refresh. I need to see something new. Maybe you're waiting. For an email. Refreshing is about bringing something new. Or maybe some of you are thinking about like refreshing, like jumping into a a nice cool swimming pool at the end of a hot day. I remember once we were on holiday in Turkey, we went on this coach trip, it was absolutely sweltering. We then went on this long walk, and I got back to the hotel totally, totally like boiling and burnt up. And I remember when I dived into that nice cool pool, and wow, it was just life giving, it was like a blessing. Through my exhausted body and soul. A time of refreshing is a relief in the pressure and hardship and weariness of life. Earlier on, I gave you examples of people for whom refreshing would be needed. The truth is we all need and long for refreshing from God. So where does refreshing come from? Look at the verse it tells you. Refreshing only truly comes from the presence of the Lord. It's as you get with God, it's as you draw near to Him, that the rest and refreshment that your soul needs, you can only find it in Him. We look for it in all sorts of places They don't satisfy. As we come to the presence of the Lord, that's when we find refreshment. Last month I went to a conference, uh, and it was basically teaching through the books of one and two kings. Uh, And lots of it was quite technical and detailed, but one thing really stood out and stuck with me. Solomon, at the start of those books, he builds a temple. And the idea of this temple is it's a place where people can go to meet with God. They can be in his presence, they can pray, they can bring their problems before him. And then throughout the books you get this whole series of kings. And these kings have problems, they have issues, they have pressures upon them. And not one of them has the bright idea, maybe I should go to the temple, maybe I should pray. Maybe I should get into the presence of God until 250 years, near the end of the second book of Kings. Hezekiah finally has it dawn on him. And he goes into God's presence and he prays. And that night the army that was camped outside Jerusalem turns tail and runs away. He went into the presence of God. And it changed everything. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. This should be number one priority. If you're thinking, what is on my to-do list? What do I need to change in my life? If you're not regularly getting in the presence of God, let me humbly suggest that goes to number one on the list. Get in his presence. Get regularly meeting with God. It will be good for you. Samuel Agua is a professor of New Testament studies at the Nairobi Evangelical Graduate School of Theology. He says this, The Lord's presence always brings blessings. This will not always be material things, for the joy of communing with God is itself a blessing. I want you to just get a hold of that. The joy of communing with God, of being in his presence, is a blessing. You will be blessed. You will be refreshed as you meet with God. And for me as someone who does their prayer times in the evening if it gets to the end of the day and I'm a little bit tired and I'm just a little bit exhausted I just have this sense of I need this I need this more than anything to say oh I'm tired I'll skip it today it doesn't work it leaves me longing so much I need it more than anything and the presence of God it changes us it changes Christine Kane, I was listening to a talk of hers when I was on the tram the other day. And she was talking about this idea of renewal, refreshing, revival. And she says this, God steps in. God breathes on us again. And we start to wake up to his love and his presence. We have an insatiable appetite for his word. We have an insatiable appetite for prayer. You can't even explain it. There's just this thing that comes when God revives us again. I think that's what we're longing for isn't it? Personally, each one of us, this revival, renewal refreshing coming from God. And then corporately what happens is when God does this in you It starts to spread to those around us. It's it's something that catches on quickly. That's what was happening in these early chapters of Acts. That's what I'm longing and praying will happen with us. And then it will spread from us into the world around. Well, here's the third thing then. God will blot out your sins. You'll receive these times of refreshing. Thirdly, he will send the Christ. The promise is that Jesus is coming back. The New Testament often talks about the return of Jesus as though it's like someone you love has gone on a journey. I don't know if any of you have been in a time when a close friend, a family member, a partner has been away for a while. And there's that sense, isn't there, I want them back, it's not quite right while they're away, they're meant to be here. We should be having that feeling about the Lord and his return. Now I know some people might not get that excited about the return of Jesus. and Particularly a few years ago there'd be people saying, actually I've got stuff to do, can't it wait? There's things I want to get on with in this life. Maybe the last year or so has just laid bare for us what many people already knew. This life isn't all that, there are problems, there are issues we need the return of the Lord to put things right Billy Graham said the second coming of Christ will be so revolutionary it will change every aspect of life on this planet, Christ will reign in righteousness disease will be arrested death will be modified, war will be abolished, nature will be changed and man will live as it was originally intended he should live, do you want a bit I want a bit of that. That's the hope. That's what we are longing for. Have any of you been watching the Olympics this week? Yeah, Yeah, there's been some pretty cool events, haven't they? Loads of interesting sports I never would watch otherwise. But for me, the best moment of the Olympics was the 400 metre hurdles, men's race. I don't know if you saw that one. It was absolutely phenomenal. Like, the guy who won took about three quarters of a second off the world record. The guy who came second took about half a second off the old world record. It was The standard was phenomenal. But the guy who won was a Norwegian Fella fellow called Carsten Warholm, and he was ahead for quite a way but going into the second to last hurdle it was like this other guy was catching up with him and so what he decided to do on his run to the final hurdle is he adjusted his stride pattern he put an extra stride in this wasn't something he planned for it wasn't something he prepped for but he just knew in the moment I need to change my stride pattern if I'm going to win the race so he put an extra stride in as he approached the final hurdle what that let him do is after he took the hurdle he could then kick on and achieve the victory this sermon this morning this promise from Peter I think it's an invitation to each one of us to change the stride pattern of our life, we've been running we've been running hard, maybe we're weary maybe we're exhausted, there are things going on, but this is a moment to change that stride pattern to repent, to turn back to God and then to kick on with our our sins blotted out, refreshed in his presence and longing for his return.